Welcome to Maker Mixtapes. I'm Tom Watley and today we're talking about refreshing content and the freelance life. Maker Mixtapes is a podcast about the entrepreneurs, creators and marketers building impressive things in their field. From content marketing and content creation to agency life and e-commerce, it's my job to dissect what makes them high performance. Today, I talk with Elise Dobson, a content writer who has built a six-figure freelance business serving clients like CoSchedule and Databox. We talk about how to execute content refresh campaigns, finding the right angle or niche for a new blog, and how to become a stronger writer. Let's dive right in. Enjoy. Thank you for joining me today. No worries. Thanks for having me. Cool. So let's jump right into it. You've been in the world of content marketing for a long time. And from what I understand, in some form or another, it's how you started your career. Could you tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, sure. So the journey actually starts quite early. I was 12 or 13 and I made a blog on Tumblr at the time. And I just thought, I'm going to post, you know, what my friends are doing, what I'm doing, what I'm wearing. Nobody really cared, but I just loved doing it. <laughs> and then I ended up leaving school and I didn't know what I wanted to do. This blog was kind of giving me some money on the side. So I was kind of, I, I get bored quite easily, to be honest. And I feel like I wasn't being challenged enough. So I got a job at a marketing agency in Manchester. I was there for maybe two years. And the beauty of that was it was a tiny, tiny agency. I mean, there was only about 10 staff so I could move around and do whatever I wanted to be honest I could do copywriting I could do Facebook ads for a while um, I ended up finding out that I liked writing for the agency more than I did the clients and I was saying to my boss at the time look long form is the way to go because at the time we were only doing 500 word pieces for clients and they were pretty crap to be honest and so I was like just let me try this for the agency website first and then he said if it works out, then we'll look at doing it for clients. Ended up writing for the agency and I loved it. And then when I went back to writing about pet insurance and wall cladding and the sorts of that, I just hated it. So I just thought I can do this on my own. So I left and that was three years ago this month. Wow. Okay. So you basically tried this new content methodology on the agency, thought it works. I'm having fun. I'm going to do this myself for other clients. Exactly. Summed it up perfectly. Yeah. Nicely done. <laughs> so Kind of fast forwarding a little bit then, you've done a load of work since then, working with various clients, built various projects, which we'll get into. But one thing I've noticed that you focus on at the moment is content refreshes. And, you know, as a content optimization uh, fanatic, for lack of a better word, myself, for listeners who aren't familiar, what is a content refresh? Who should consider it and why are they important? Okay, so I would say a content refresh is basically taking a piece of content that you already have and making it better. You can find these, well, basically anyone can be doing content refreshes. It's good for companies who don't have tons of resource to plow into new pieces all the time because it can take a while, you know, from finding the idea right the way through dis distributing it. Um, it takes a lot of time, whereas a, a content refresh bundles up all that time that you've already put into something you spend maybe five hours tweaking it and then you get extra results on top of the ones you've already got. Um, so I have quite a few processes for this. I usually go down two routes. So the first one is just refreshing the piece itself. Um, I find these by going into Google Analytics. I look at the landing page report, um, filter by organic traffic and then compare 
over three months. I do usually. You can do more or less depending on how much content you publish. And I look for pieces that have gone down in organic traffic, which means something's beaten that or it doesn't fit that keyword anymore. So I prioritize those to refresh. But what you'll find sometimes is that there's two or three or a handful of similar posts that are going down. And that might be because you're cannibalizing the keyword. So if you're targeting, say, content marketing strategy and then targeting B2B content marketing strategy on two different pages, they basically mean the same thing if your audience is B2B. Um, so I find that merging those together and creating one ultimate guide is the best route for that. Two very similar topics. Google has no idea which is the most relevant and uh, you may as well merge them together, right? Yeah, exactly. For, for other projects, let's say we find a particular article that's either decaying or perhaps um, there are some opportunities to rank for perhaps more broader or more competitive keywords. How would you go about actually refreshing the content? So what, what is the approach? And is it like a rewrite or what is it? It depends. I think if you've written something in 2013, it's probably a huge rewrite because lots of things have changed. <laughs> but if it's only say a few months or even up to two years, I would change the meta tags. I actually did this on my own website and I doubled the organic traffic for one piece. Uh, just by rewriting the meta title and description. And other things as well is I refresh images. I ask people for quotes. So subject matter experts, I say, hey, we've wrote this piece. Is there anything you can slot in that we've missed? And I quote them because that helps add new, unique content to that piece. And they can also share that because they're involved. Um, and then there's also things like the structure. So I look in Google and see, is there any any questions that people are asking that we've not answered in this that they would want to know? So I include those. And just general stuff like statistics, new data, new surveys, just to make it more obvious that it was published this year and not three years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no outdated uh, statistics. Oh, no. Statistics linking to roundups that don't actually oh, mention the original source. Worst. Worst. I thought I thought that I'd press press a button there. <laughs> <laughs> so when I talk about content optimization to some marketers, they feel a little bit overwhelmed, and I think. It's possibly because of the way it's framed content on optimization. It mm -hmm. sounds like this very complex, time-consuming process. Um, how long do you think a, a project takes for you know one particular article? And how long until marketers can expect to see results from their efforts too? Oh, that's an interesting question. So I think how long it takes to get results i think it depends on the changes that you're making it's such an seo answer that isn't it, it depends <laughs> but it really does depend it depends if say you're taking a piece that's ranking on page five you make a few changes and it moves to page four that might take less than a week it depends how long it, it so it so depends it's so hard to say. <laughs> but it really does depend on a lot of things um but a massive rewrite i would say give it a month with lots of distribution to it and then see. Then give it, a month is a good marker if it's, if it's going up or down. If it's going up, then you're going in the right direction, obviously. Um, but three months, I would say, if it's not worked by three months, try again. And as for the actual creating it, I'd say, I can only speak from my experience, I would say creating a big long form piece from scratch can take up to 25, 30 hours, depending on the topic, the complexity, the word count, et cetera but updating would probably be done in five hours. So you can see the five, the 25 hours that you've already invested, add another five and you've got an even better piece than you would have started with. Oh man, if that doesn't make a case, I don't know. <laughs> <it is. laughs> 
So have you seen um, any kind of surprising outcomes from a particular content refresh project, whether that's either results or an impact it made to a client's bottom line metrics, for lack of a better word, that you weren't quite expecting? Because, uh, yeah, sometimes you have an objective with these things, but something completely different happens. Yeah, well, to be honest, I don't get involved much in the reporting side of it. That's more my clients. They just hire me to write. But from my own experience, I have a piece on my affiliate site that I wrote back in August last year. And I probably refresh it every other month or every three months. And that stays at number one. That is my most ranked piece, my, the one that drives the most traffic, the one that is most relevant to my site. So it really does pay off to keep it updated. Yeah, 100%. And what an amazing segue, because I really wanted to talk <laughs> to you about your um, affiliate site. I noticed you've recently grew it to over 7,000 monthly organic visitors. And as part of this process, you've talked about the importance of selecting the right niche and the right topics. And for you as the owner of a, an adorable Sprocker, Sprocker, Sprocker Spaniel, <laughs> it was a no brainer. But despite what might seem like a following a passion project, for lack of a better word, there's actually a bit of ma uh, method behind the madness. For anyone who's looking to start their own affiliate site or even starting a blog for their business or startup, what does that niche selection process look like for you? I would say find something that you're interested in and writing about doesn't get boring because that is quite hard. You will be writing about it a lot <laughs> and, and if you're not interested in it or you're outsourcing it or you're not really in the trenches with that topic, you can't really create the best stuff on the topic. So say if I was starting a plumbing website, for example, I don't know the faintest thing about plumbing. So I, I would find it really hard to write about that. And also I think people not come to know you as your niche so for me, I have a, a dog, which is based around my affiliate site. And I found that actually by Facebook groups. So when I was looking to buy my dog last year, I was looking for advice about the breed because he is quite unusual. And I couldn't find anything except in Facebook groups. And I was thinking, there's all this content here for me to take. Why is nobody doing it? So I just did. <laughs> that, that was how I found the niche. So look in Facebook groups, look at things you're passionate about. And there's a need for as well, because there's no use creating a guide to something that nobody cares about other than you. So look for search volumes. It doesn't have to be massive. In fact, going too broad can actually impact how hard it is. Because if you're trying to compete with like HubSpot or Conversion Excel, you've got no chance. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Don't stick a layer of broad marketing topics. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Amazing. What... Um methods do you usually go about so let's say you found something that you feel capable or interested in writing about how would you go about measuring the demand for that niche or topic yeah so i look at facebook groups that was how i did mine uh, there was ten thousand members in a group but no website so that was like the perfect jackpot for me so also i think you should look i think you should look at facebook groups if there's any people talking about that look on quora if there's any people asking questions that are not being answered by websites if they've got answers on Quora then don't worry too much because you can take that and put that on your website as a source uh, and then hashtags on Twitter see if anyone's talking about your topic look in Google what are the websites currently ranking for those keywords are they just anything and everything websites like Wikipedia if so you can probably beat that by making a niche site that goes really in depth in that one topic and i've also searched demand so look at keyword search volume if there's maybe 10 or 20 around your main main focus i would stay clear but if there's like 500 on your main keyword and then others that are maybe 30 to 100 
goes for it. Good, uh, good little strategy there. Um, kind of going into the weeds with your content creation process, you've you're a fellow advocate of solid content briefs, and I feel that the more planning that you put into a piece of content, and as someone who serves clients getting stakeholders involved in that stage is uh, super important as well. And also leads to less edits and basically a tighter piece. When it comes to the content brief, what are your, shall we say, ingredients for like the perfect foundation to a single piece of content? Yeah, so I send a brief template to every client that I work with and it has um, a breakdown on their audience. So what that person looks like, it has their stage in the sales funnel, it has any features that I need to know about the product. Um, and I use that to build an outline. So before I even deliver a draft, before I even say, yes, I can do this, I get them to fill in that brief because there's no use in me trying to work really hard to understand a topic that I have no idea what the client wants. Um, and it's, it's good. It benefits the freelancer as well, because if your client knows that you know their business and it's easy for them to hire you, then they're obviously going to do that rather than starting afresh with someone else. Absolutely. So it's kind of cementing yourself within the, the client organization by fully understanding all their needs. And I think that applies to a lot of in-house marketers as well, you know, um, really understanding why certain customers use your product and then just starting, starting the content creation process with that, right? So you've put all that work down and now it's time to plan a specific piece of content. What does the... Um, the framework for that look like? Yeah, so I first start with a brain dump and this is going to Google, looking what people are already talking about on this topic, writing a list of any subject matter experts that I might want to interview, sending Harrow queries, um, looking at people also ask. But I find that whole approach of going to Google and basing your content off that is really, I think it's a bit outdated and a bit naive to be honest. I wrote a piece about this recently. I called it parasite content, which is basically you go to Google and you see HubSpot, Conversion Excel, all these massive name brands with massive budgets and huge websites. They can publish a really crappy topic and it'll rank first just because the site is really strong. You can have the best piece and copy that piece, in fact, word for word, and you won't, won't rank anywhere near that. Um, so I think you need to add more, more context and more more juice really to, to what you're publishing it needs to be more than just this is how to do this so i do look to google um, and see what people are doing i use tools like clearscope which has keywords to include and also related terms so it can help you understand the context of something but yeah i, I really i interview a lot of people for pieces and even if i don't put their quote in they give me a lot of ideas of things to include that stuff already ranking doesn't and that is what helps create a unique piece really and that, that might even in turn help it to rank you've struck a chord with me because um i wanted to ask you about the the parasite content thing it wasn't it wasn't um on our list of things to talk about but i i saw you recently published it and one thing that i find a little bit tricky and i want to get your opinion on is if you want something to rank in google you have to play their game mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean you have to necessarily copy the content in fact that's a bad idea because it's not going to be original and it's going to be quite broad right and one thing that you just mentioned there in terms of making a content original and the most valuable it could be is adding some juice um for me i would call that value bombs or or something like that but 
do you have any examples of what those things look like for you so the table stakes of a particular topic are there now it's time to actually inject some things to make it more original what do those elements actually look like so for me that can look like product data so if i use hrefs as a good example if you look at their tutorials i think i mentioned a guide to keyword research it's it's a really boring topic if you look in google results every single one will have the same step but they use their product as the foundation of that content. So nobody can copy that. If you go to Ahrefs and you look at that tutorial, you know it's from them. Um, so screenshots of your product, tutorials of it in action. I think feedback from customers is great to include as well. So if you say, here's a guide to keyword research and you can put in, this is one, how one of our customers uses our tool. That is great and it helps get conversions from your content as well instead of just ranking well and getting all vanity metrics from it quotes are a really good one i love quotes i interview people all the time i could i'm the biggest praiser of quotes but anything unique to you so even data you could just run a quick survey get a few few thousand people to respond and just publish that in a neat package and that has two wins really because one you get the unique content in your piece and two it helps build backlinks as well because you can pitch that statistic so you did an SEO survey and you could pitch that to everyone doing roundups of SEO statistics and that will get backlinks to the page. So it's kind of a, th a three win. You'll get backlinks to the page, unique data, and that means you'll rank better than a standard piece. Oh, it sounds like a, a killer recipe to making content rank on Google. And so underused as well. I know, which, which is why it's probably still so effective because yeah, I, I don't true. see many people wanting to put in the work. Some of my favorite clients, and I'm sure you all agree, are the ones that actually want to, if they don't have proprietary data to pull out, to go and create their their own flag in the in the market space through some kind of you know proprietary study data or even qualitative insights from a very specific audience. Going back to like the planning phase of that, we talked about how large companies really a lot of website authority have a chance of ranking for those really competitive keywords do you think your niche topic research approach would apply to a startup and are there any parallels or differences for you know say a b2b startup who wanted to start growing their organic traffic through content that's a tricky question so the approach i've taken to my niche website was create an ultimate guide to your main topic it's kind of like the pillar and um What's the, what's the word? Pillar and cluster strategy. So I created the main piece. So say you're a B2B startup and you do accounting software. I would create an ultimate guide, the biggest, best piece I could find on the topic about how to manage B2B accounts. And then I would create spin-off pieces from that. So for example, I might do how to pick the best accounting software, how to manage tax, things like that. All spin-off pieces and link to that first piece. That's what's really worked for me because it proves that I'm not just writing about this topic because I'm interested in it. By doing that interlinking strategy, it proves that I'm an expert in this topic. I've got all these pieces to back it up. And this is the main thing that I want to rank for. So putting that into practice for my own website, I did a breed guide to Sprocker Spaniels. And then from that, I created different types of Spaniels, how to look after a Spaniel, how to find a puppy, and all those linked back to the first page. And that first page is the biggest driver of traffic to my website so that is a, a really good way to start getting traffic even if your website is tiny and new yeah owning a topic and then going all in on that classic pillar and cluster 
Yeah, it worked. <laughs> so we've talked a lot about the writing processes you do for clients. And I think as a freelancer, you have a lot of insight into the freelance business as a whole. And my agency works with a lot of content writers. And as a result, we get lots of questions about content marketing in general. And one that I get often is, how can I become a better writer? Do you have any insights or advice for anyone looking to hone their writing skills? Yeah, first, I think it's the most important that is get feedback. I was talking inside my membership community this this week, actually, and someone was saying, how do I get more confident? Because they were afraid to pitch clients because they didn't think the writing was good enough. And my best tip is always to get feedback. When I first started in an agency, I, I cringed. I literally cringed when people read my stuff. I hated it. But then as soon as I was, I start, you start to learn a lot more when you get feedback from other people. Um, you're not in your own tunnel vision, as it's good to say. So ask, ask your editors, ask your freelance friends, ask even your mum, say, do you understand what I'm talking about here? Because my mum doesn't know what the world of SAS is. But if I give her a piece and she understands it, that's my kind of signal to know I've done all right. Yeah. But even, yeah, so first one, getting feedback. Second one is reading. So you can keep a swipe file of all the stuff that you like. So I read books and I highlight things in my Kindle and I copy that over into my swipe file. And that can be a sentence that I liked, a word that I've never used before, a nice way to present information that I would never thought of before that. So the swipe file is, is key for me. I always look at that and use that as a, as a basis whenever I'm writing a new piece. I think, what can I take from what I've learned and put that into my writing? And the third one is, is obvious, it's just to write more. <laughs> Do as much as you can. It doesn't matter if you publish it or not, if you keep it in a notes on your phone, just publish and write as much as you can. It's the easiest way to create a nice stream from your brain to the computer, if that makes sense. <laughs> it's hard to explain. I know exactly what you mean. Oh, it's, it's why I think it's why journaling is uh, quite a popular practice. It's that it's not only cathartic, but you're kind of honing in your skills as well. You mentioned um, using a swipe file for content and it's a practice in the marketing world, but not often used among content writers. How do you go about organizing all of those different elements? You know, you mentioned words that you haven't used, different sentence frameworks, etc. How do you organize and go back to find those when you need them? So I categorize them by type. So I'm just looking at it now. I have a section content marketing and I put tweets in there about content, how to find good content. And I kind of group them in sections. So I'll put one about content research, one group about optimization. Um, and then I have a section on creativity, which is good campaigns that I've seen, different ways that people use marketing. And then I have a writing section, which is examples of writing that I like from brands. Um, I have links to pricing pages, landing pages that I like. I have screenshots of emails where the subject line is good. Basically anything to do with writing, I put in that section. So I, I don't have to go in and look, look in between everything to find the writing that I like. I put it all in one section and I can just scroll through that. I don't have much in there because I try and keep it as, as good as possible. <laughs> so, Quality over quantity. Yeah, it's easier for me to find because I don't have tons of things in there, but the stuff I do have is good. Is that in a Google Doc or? It's on a Notion board, actually. I'm, I, I thought you might say Notion. <laughs> yeah, I, I spent all of last week trying to set up my Notion and now I'm obsessed. <laughs> <laughs> Amen to that. Um, yeah. I'm actually, I've got my notes for this interview right in front of me on Notion. <laughs> so speaking of your freelance career, you've recently created a membership site for basically freelancers who want to grow their business. And 
I guess, become better freelancers in general. What kind of stuff are you talking about at the moment? You know, what topics are you covering? Yeah, in there at the minute is my brief outline that I send to every client. We talked about that earlier. But I'm talking about things that I wish I would have known back then. Because at the time, I wish I had someone who'd been doing this for quite a long time and worked with pretty decent clients to tell me what I was doing right and wrong. Um, so I've talked about how to find monthly retainers. Um, we do feedback loops every other week, which is basically what I was talking about earlier, the feedback. But you'll get feedback from me and other writers as well. So just drop a Google Doc link in there and people can go back and say, oh, I like this. Have you thought about this? Yeah, it's, it's just a good way to... My aim really is to make it the best place for freelancers to learn new stuff. Yeah, best of both worlds. And... I think we've been working together kind of on and off here and there since maybe 2017. And throughout that time, yeah, I've seen your content around the freelance business. So anyone listening, I know it's going to be good stuff. Where can people go to learn about that? So that's um, Patreon. So it's patreon.com forward slash peak freelance. Um, I'm sure you'll have a link if you if you can if in the show notes because Patreon is quite hard to spell. <laughs> <laughs> So that, yeah, that's where you can find me. You can find me on Twitter as well, at Elise Dobson. And if you do join the group, just give me a shout if there's anything that you would like to see in there. I'm pretty easy with it. Perfect. Elise, that's very kind of you. I think that's a really good way, a good place to wrap up. Elise, thank you very much for joining me. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's been fun. Thanks for listening. Before you dash, just a quick note to share a free ebook we just published called The Content Operations Playbook. If you're interested in content marketing and SEO, then this ebook is for you. We lift the hood up on our own editorial and content production processes from hiring writers, creating solid content briefs, polishing content to be the best it can be, and of course, distributing it to actually generate traffic. It's totally free and you can download it over at grizzle.io forward slash content ops. That's www.grizzle.io forward slash content ops. And hey, if you enjoy this podcast, feel free to subscribe. We've got a lot of great conversations lined up with experts in the world of business, marketing, and entrepreneurship coming up. Thanks again.